Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is brought to you by Prevenex. This is a supplement brand that I trust completely. I take actually like the whole pack. I got like a five pack thing going on in my house. The one that I love the most though is their Joint Health Plus. All runners know, especially at my age, what I'm going to hit 40 next year. Not exactly looking forward to that, but I do appreciate Joint Health Plus because it does help in this regard. It's just one of those products where you just have to try to believe it. It really does help with all the joints, especially in the lower legs. I love it and it's scientifically proven and anecdotally proven. A lot of athletes trust Prevenex and you should too. So go to Prevenex.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. So in this episode, I have someone who I've gotten to know very well over the past couple months. That's Kim Sundling. And this was a wide-ranging conversation. Kim has done amazing things as a runner. She has done, did two fall marathons and then did the Dopey Challenge in the beginning of January. Not only that, she's improved a lot recently. I'm actually her coach as well, but that has nothing to do with why she's on this episode. And you'll see why in a second. She's just an incredible person. She's also a pharmacist who deals with, um, you know, with mental health. And in addition, she's someone who has struggled with her own mental health in the past. And we touch on all of those things in this episode. But even more than that, it's just getting a sense of Kim Sunling's energy and passion for life. It is something that is pervasive in so many ways. And you'll hear it firsthand in this episode. And this is one of the reasons why I just love speaking with her on any topic. And especially in this episode, just having her on was just such a great feeling. And I think you'll be able to experience that shortly. So without further ado, here is my episode with Kim Sunling. Hey, Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And I'll tell you what, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. I know I say that to a lot of guests. So people who listen to this show, <laughs> please forgive me. But I wanted to have you on because it was one of those things where you were about to do something in the beginning of January that a lot of people think about doing and talk about doing, but very few people have done it. Never, no, never mind. Multiple times. You did the Dopey Challenge beginning of January. And that's just such an exciting thing for, you know, for so many people to try. And for some people, like, you know, it's like, that kind of combines the idea of, you know, Disney with so much like almost like it's almost like an ultra, but not really. But it kind of has that feel to it in terms of, you know, how many miles you're putting in in a very short period of time. Yes. And and all the miles that you walk at Disney World every single day. <laughs> right. So Dopey Challenge is four straight days with four straight races, 5K, 10K. The 13.1 and the 26.2. Do you think you'd had more steps walking around the park or running around the park? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I think my husband and I averaged about 20 miles a day um, in addition to, you know, the races and waking up so early. So I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that is wild. Sorry. So. I can't wait to talk about that. But with that said, before we get there, you're somebody who, and we were talking about this before we started recording, who kind of has like an open book mentality to their life. You are open about a lot of things. And one of the things that you've been open about in the past, especially when you have like a flashback Friday moment, is you share this picture of you before your wedding day or on your wedding day, um, from roughly four years ago, four and a half years ago. And, and you obviously, that's not how someone expects to be on that day. That's for sure. So can you provide a little context? Because for me, it was one of those those introductory moments to you was reading one of those posts and it was captivating. And I always thought like, I want to learn more about this because obviously this was a hallmark moment in your life. And it seems like you have you know, really rebounded in certain ways and, you know, become this kind of paragon of health in, you know, in recent years. <laughs> well, so um, I appreciate that. Kind of, well, looking back at that, I remember the date, like very specifically, it was September 27th, 
2015 and um, what should have been the happiest week of my life turned out, well, I mean, it ended with the happiest day of my life, but um, I was going to my final dress fitting and um, I ended up waking up three days later intubated. Well, I woke up from getting intubated and having, you know, just waking up to all these doctors around me. It was incredibly terrifying. Um, but for me, uh, I am a pharmacist and it was just so different to be on the opposite side of that. And it just kind of was a catalyst to me changing my entire life. Um, but basically what happened is my sodium dropped to 106. And for those of you non-medical nerds, uh, normal range is 135 to 145-ish. And um, people that are less than 110 and have seizures have a 50% chance of survival. So I basically should have died. And um, the only reason why I did survive is because my husband saved my life that day. Um, I... Instead of going in, you know, fitting my dress and whatnot, I collapsed and seized and he called 911 and um, he ended up saving my life. And I got to marry him later that week. But um, all I remember for the most part from like that whole experience was getting extubated and then being discharged two days later on Thursday and then marrying Mike on Saturday, which is, um, it's crazy. I even get tearful just thinking about it, but it was just such an incredible experience to be, I think 25 and be on death's door. <laughs> so what is, what does extubated mean? Oh yes. Sorry. I'm, I'm talking medical. So when I was basically, um, when my sodium had dropped so low, they were worried about my brain swelling. So I actually had to be put on a ventilator um, and have, you know, a machine breathe for me. So when you're extubated, they turn off the, the medicine that is keeping you asleep um, so that you aren't pulling out that tube because it's breathing for you. And that's why I think so many people, like when they see that photo, it's like, wow, you know, like I can't even imagine being in that. So being extubated is when they turn off that medication to keep you asleep and they're pulling that tube out of your mouth. Oh, my God. So what was the cause of the drop in sodium? And was that the first time that it ever happened to you? At that time, it was the first time that anything like that had ever happened. Um, and this is, you'll you'll understand where part of my passion for mental health comes from. But at the time, they were blaming it on my anxiety disorder because I'm a young, white, professional woman. I'm in a pharmacy residency. Um, and they just blamed it on my anxiety. They thought um, that I was you know, just stressed out for the wedding, or maybe I was abusing, you know, pills to thin out and stuff like that. So it was like a huge wake up call at that time <laughs> to be told like, hey, you almost died. And it's from your anxiety disorder, which just didn't really click with me at the time. Um, but you know, now years later, we kind of know what it's more from. But at the time, they were just blaming it on my anxiety disorder. <laughs> So when you heard that, what were, did you, it sounds as if like you weren't necessarily bought into that diagnosis. So what happened then when, when, after you'd heard that, what was the, the path with which you took to try to maybe get more information or find out something that maybe was potentially a better fit with how you felt and how you, you know, thought that maybe things could have actually happened? Yeah. Uh, so for me, after I was out of the hospital, I mean, it just didn't make sense to me that my so well, backing up a little bit, um, I was in my second year of pharmacy residency, and I was specializing in mental health and pharmacists are becoming so much different than what you typically think of a pharmacist of dispensing medications and stuff like that. So I was actually in residency to learn how to prescribe medications and, and do that type of stuff. So I was learning about these disorders and they were telling me that anxiety caused this. And I'm like, 
that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I have never learned this in all the times I've met with patients, all the psychiatrists that have been teaching me. I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. Plus, after I was in the hospital, I started having all these weird things like joint aches. I would wake up the next day and feel like I was a 90-year-old woman and I shouldn't have been feeling like that in you know my mid-20s. And I was getting these weird rashes all over my face. And um, I'm like, this just doesn't make sense to me. So I just kept advocating for myself. And it it really has taken about, it took about four years to actually finally get a like finally figure out what was going on. Um, So that's why I'm always very encouraging to people. If you have these goofy things, you need to be your own advocate sometimes because sometimes doctors and and providers just don't like look at the whole picture. And sometimes you're the only one who knows what's actually going on at home. (laughs) So you just have to fight for yourself. Right. And I think you were in a unique position considering the training that you were undergoing at the time where you were in a position to to have a gut feeling that was actually rooted in fact right i mean if you had just been you know pursuing an education in say like becoming say an elementary school teacher right you might have had that same feeling but you wouldn't have been able to say like well i've learned xyz and this is why this doesn't make sense You basically be like, this doesn't sound right, but I can't provide you with any facts or information. So when you have somebody who's going through this kind of experience where they get a diagnosis that just doesn't ring true for them, but they can't necessarily back it up with facts, what are some things that you would tell them in terms of their own advocacy while also at the same time not necessarily shopping around for the diagnosis that they want? Right, because it's kind of like a fine line between the two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone can go to WebMD and they'll type in their symptoms and then, you know, they have cancer or something. Um, so I encourage people, you know, if you don't have a medical background, then if you do have a friend, I mean, I have people reach out to me all the time. If you have a friend that has any medical background or, you know, a knowledge in that to to first reach out to them um, or a family member or something like that. The best, the other thing that you can do is get a second opinion. Like if you're just like, this just doesn't in a like spidey sense feel right, you need to get a second opinion. And that's what I kept doing. And um, sometimes it can be difficult to do and be told by, I think I had seven doctors told me, tell me it was anxiety. Um, so even me being knowledgeable in the medical field or medical area, I still, I just, I had to keep looking for a new doctor because I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. So for people that don't have that background, I just encourage you to get second opinions because you aren't, you aren't stuck with that doctor. Like if, if you don't agree with them or, or whatnot, or you're not getting answers, then you need to, you need to get help or, you know, reach out to someone that maybe has an idea. But as for, you know, like WebMD and stuff like that, I wouldn't take that as seriously. I mean, you need to look at like actual, <laughs> actual um, books and, and things like that. I mean, WebMD is great for like little information, but if you're dealing with something as serious as I was, you're not going to find your answers that way. <laughs> All right. So after seven doctors, you'd heard, all right, this is anxiety related. What did it ultimately end up being? So I have lupus and um, lupus is really confusing. Uh, It's an autoimmune disorder and there's different types of lupus, but I have the systemic form, which is the most serious form, unfortunately, but that is in my gut. What I was, I'm like, this just seems more like an autoimmune disorder. And for those of you that don't know what that means, it's essentially your body is attacking itself. And lupus, it can attack anywhere. It can attack your skin. It's kind of like if you get a mosquito bite and you get a bump, that's basically, you know, what is going on in my my body. Um, but there's varying degrees. There's some people that the lupus really affects their kidneys or, you know, just different parts. And I luckily, my kidneys have not had problems. But, you know, now that I have that answer, that kind of everything makes sense of like what happened to me in 2015 and up until this point. 
So what did happen in 2015? Like what, what did you do or what happened to you that caused the chain of events where all of a sudden you were on a ventilator in the hospital with a 50% chance of passing away? Yeah. Um, so kind of, I was really stupid and this, I'm very honest about this, but kind of what led up to that point is I was not sleeping. I was stressed out. Um, when you're a resident, um, pharmacy or pharmacist residency is very similar to medical residency where you're not sleeping very much. I, I will say medical residencies, they, they work way more hours than I ever did, but it's just when I already have an anxiety disorder, it's like a heightened experience for me and every little thing is just stressful. So I wasn't sleeping very well. My adrenaline was pumping all the time. I wasn't necessarily taking care of myself like food wise. And I actually wasn't getting any care for my mental health at all at that point in time. So I just was like a ticking time bomb. And up until that, that point, um, I, I just, I, I should have been getting the care for my anxiety, but I just, I thought I was above that. And <laughs> which I think a lot of people, they don't go and get help because they, they think they are above that. But basically a week before this all started, I was having like all these kind of weird symptoms and I just was kind of like, Oh, maybe I'm getting the flu or, um, you know, just stressed out or whatnot. And, um, I, I mean, when you're walking around with the sodium where I was, I should have been like on the floor, which I eventually did, but I just kind of, you know, thought it was all related to me just being stressed out <laughs> um, and things like that. But basically it was a perfect storm that led to my sodium just dropping like rapidly. Um, and I, I should have known probably looking back that there was something goofy going on, but I just ignored the signs because I was 25 and nothing could hurt me. And that's kind of why it was a huge wake up call <laughs> for me. So once you got that diagnosis, what did you have to change um, basically in all areas of your life to make sure that you were as healthy as possible? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing was making sure like that I was taking my medication because I had to I got started on, you know, a few medications. Well, actually, I got started on three medications when I was finally diagnosed with what happened. And now I'm only on one medication. But the biggest thing for me with with like everything and I talk about this a lot is just feeding your body with good food and with autoimmune disorders food is very important in just your symptoms and stuff like that so I've had to like do all this research and learn more about like what I should actually be fueling my body the other part of it is with running I have to be really careful because I tend to be more sensitive to the sun <laughs> so I run at the butt crack of dawn <laughs> so the sun isn't even up um, and I do that on purpose because I get um, rashes from it. The other thing is I have to make sure I get at least seven hours of sleep because if I don't sleep appropriate amount of hours, I can get a flare. And a flare is essentially, you know, when my symptoms like erupt or I'll get like a really bad rash or, you know, my joints will ache and things like that. And I mean, it it basically caused me to rethink everything that I was doing because everything could be contributing to me having a flare. So it was a huge like overtaking of just knowledge and trying to figure out like, okay, well, if I have to deal with this the rest of my life, how do I, how do I make the most of it without like feeling bad for myself every single day? And what kinds of foods did you start eating and what foods did you take away to maximize your health? Yeah, and there's a lot of like data out there and I'm definitely not a nutritionist, so I'm not an expert by any means, but if you look into really any of the recommendations out there for autoimmune disorders, it's just getting rid of processed food. Um processed food, I mean if you don't know where your food came from, you shouldn't put it in your body and I mean I I do my best to avoid it 
And I know I always feel better when I do, but you know, I'm human. And (laughs) I, like you said, I was just in Disney World. So of course I'm going to like have a Rice Krispie bar, do that kind of stuff when I'm there. But the biggest thing is just, you need to avoid processed food. And I think we live in a, a day and age where we are learning so much more about that. And I will say, as a, a pharmacist, I did not learn about this in school. I just learned about how you treat the illness with or the symptom of the illness. And that's one thing that I, I wish I had learned more about, but um, I'm learning as I, I go with this. But I would say processed food is like the, the easiest, simplest answer <laughs> without me going into too much um, boring detail. <laughs> Well, you bring up a good point there, and it's certainly understandable where with your training, it was about, you know, fixing problems, right? Whereas what you just mentioned with with nutrition and and things of that nature, it can also be, you know, conversely, but to the same effect, hopefully, about maximizing the positives as opposed to trying to stop the negatives. And how you're talking about lupus and the things that you need to do to maximize your health, besides the medication that you're on right now, it seems like those would be just general recommendations for good health for literally any person on the planet. But yes. just for you, <laughs> the you know, the deleterious effects of not doing it are just much more severe than if like I didn't do it. Yeah, like if I do it, then I can barely like, for instance, I, I I don't um, do anything dairy or anything like that. But when I have dairy, I literally like fall asleep on the way to work, or like when I have to drive to work. And I mean, that's not normal. <laughs> I think I could tell any tell anyone that and they would know that's not normal. And it's not because I'm sleep deprived. It's just that like, is a symptom of lupus. So it's just it's crazy, but you know, I never had anyone talk to me about this. I had to do all my own digging. And it also was like a huge epiphany moment for me that it's like, okay, we have all these things, medications and wonderful things, but what about food? Like food is what often causes the problem. So it's just interesting to to me as like a healthcare provider to like have this realization. And it's kind of like, oh, why don't they do this kind of stuff? And now like as I'm digging more and more about it, I try to apply it to my practice and help patients like with their food and stuff like that if I can. Or if it is contributing, get them hooked up with a nutritionist because I wish all healthcare providers would do that for their patients because it's just, it could help so many people. Yeah, and I was talking to talking with Hannah Johnson about this on an earlier episode of the podcast, and she's a pharmacist as well. And we just talked about, you know, kind of the dichotomy there, where obviously what you're trained in and what just what general people know you for within that profession is kind of you know, is dispensing, you know, medicine to help solve or work with problems that are affecting people. And yet a lot of what you've talked about, and Hannah was the same way when you know when we spoke a couple months ago, where we're not necessarily talking about medicines here. We're talking about a lot of other things. So for you, what's that combination of, you know, obviously you believe in the medicines that are you know, you're helping to prescribe and give to folks, but at the same time, you obviously have a very holistic approach to health. So how do those two diverge and how do you bring them together, not only for yourself, but for some of the individuals that you're working with? Yeah. And that's a, a great question. I think what I try to do since I, I'm obviously specialized in mental health. So all I deal with all day is um, mental health disorders. And a big component of that is psychotherapy. So when I first talk to a patient, um, because I get patients from a, a wide range and I work primarily with veterans, which are some of the greatest people, um, I'm biased because my husband's a veteran, but um, <laughs> I always, always talk to them about therapy. Because if you look at clinical trials, people have almost or if not better outcomes with just psychotherapy alone. And Therapy is like the bread and butter of getting better. And I always explain that to people. Medication is super helpful. It can help 
you know, keep you stable. It can help with your mood um, and things like that. But really, the best approach is to either do the therapy or combine it with medications. I mean, there are some people that only want to do medication and that's fine. But I try to explain like why it is so good because you're kind of missing a part of the puzzle if you only do one or the other. And then the other component is, is, you know, I ask them what they're feeding their body and things like that. And if they're open to it, I will get them hooked up with a nutritionist because like I said, that's not my my area. Um, but I try to explain all the options and why it's helpful to them. And I feel like most people are really receptive to that because I think what is the problem of so many healthcare providers is that they don't explain why they're recommending something or they just don't have the, you know, the time because I, I, I myself have gone to my doctor and only seen them for 10 minutes, <laughs> um, which it's hard to do everything in 10 minutes. But I think I just try to explain it and, and, you know, say that I'm recommending this because I truly think it will help them the best. And also I myself, um, I'm still in therapy. I go every two weeks, I take antidepressants and things like that. So I know that I'm, I mean, I don't tell my patients that by any means that would be, that would be a little weird and unprofessional, but, um, <laughs> I know that I'm recommending this from a, a good place and that it's really going to help them. And I think that can, that comes across, um, when I'm talking to them. I was about to ask you that because you said that it would be a little unprofessional and maybe it would be <laughs> in certain, in certain, certain capacities, right? If you just like, if it was a complete non sequitur in the conversation where all of a sudden you're talking about yourself when they're trying to get you know, help for themselves. But at the same time, I feel like I can imagine someone feeling like, all right, like this individual understands where I'm coming from because she's dealing with it too, or she has dealt with it too, or, you know, we can, we're, you know, we're on the same plane here. You know what I mean? Or we're on the same road traveling down this path. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where sometimes it can be easier to accept guidance from somebody if you feel like they have firsthand experience with what you're going through, as opposed to someone who just is speaking from on high from either academic knowledge or, you know, they're, they're aware of what you're going through, but haven't necessarily experienced it for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of us as professionals are prof medical professionals and, and things like that, I think it can I, and I, I don't think a lot of people really talk about this, but it can be a really awkward situation at times because it's like, I do know what you're going through, you know, but I think there's there's moments and visits where you can share parts of, you know, your journey and things like that. But I think if you're oversharing it, then that's when it becomes a problem. But I mean, there are some times where patients, like if, I see patients, you know, after they just admitted that they want to kill themselves. And, you know, that is so hard to just sit there and watch those people, you know, go through that. But at the same time, when I felt like that or admitted that to my providers, they were just there. And I think just learning that balance is really hard. And that's one of the harder parts of my job is, is dealing with that and also knowing that I've been through it. But I think, you know, there are moments where I'll share like, you know, that my husband's a veteran and stuff like that. So um, there's a time and place for it. And there's different, you know, areas of, of specialties in medicine that I think it's more common, but I think in mental health, it's, it's really challenging. I mean, especially this, these past few months when I was really feeling depressed. It was really, really hard to just, you know, be listening to these patients that are depressed. And it's like, I just, I know exactly how you feel, you know? And when you have those moments where you know, you're, you're in one of the throes of, of depression, you're going through a depressive period, does helping other people through that process help you in a sense because you get that that feeling of you know you're helping others and and that's just one of those universal it's, it says a universal feeling when you help other people you it feels good or is it or is it tough where it's like all right like 
going through that or hearing people talk about that can just kind of like bring you down through like another negative cycle because you're kind of focusing on that negativity, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess in, in a way it's almost, sometimes it's really difficult for me, not necessarily with how they're feeling, but it's, it's primarily difficult when I hear or see young veterans that are the same age as my husband. And I know that he, he has gone through similar things and it's more of like, I just feel so terrible that he had to go through those things because if you've never talked to a veteran or heard about some of the things that they've had to experience, especially like Vietnam veterans and and just how they were treated when they got home, it just breaks your heart. And it's like, no one should have to go through this. So at times it can, it can definitely worsen how I'm feeling. But at the same time, like you said, when I get patients that I see like a month later after I started them on a medication and they're like, you know, Dr. Sunling, my, I just am feeling so much better. I just, I can go outside again. You know, I'm able to do these things. That gives me so much hope, like just in the fact that I too can get to be that way. But the other part of my work is like, work is a huge distraction for me and I can just kind of put, you know, <laughs> the hammer down and get through the day. But there's like those little moments throughout the day when I really help someone that it's like, ah, you know, there is hope. This is why I do what I do and, you know, why I need to keep fighting. But then at the same time, you know, I'm listening to these terrible things that these poor people had to go through for our country. And they, I don't think you can thank them enough, you know, so it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a balancing act. Um, so I didn't really answer your question, but um, <laughs> in a roundabout way, I kind of did. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. And, and <laughs> you know, with that being said, too, is that you, know, you mentioned that you kind of had, you know, most recently, you know, for a couple months, you were kind of in a, in a depressive period or cycle or whatever language you want to use. Now, when you go through those kinds of periods, how much control do you have? in terms of kind of pulling yourself out of it? Like how much is it in terms of not, not just like willing and, you know, grinding your teeth through it. I don't mean it in that sense, but in terms of like, how much is it, how much, how much, how much are those not symptoms, but getting through it controllable versus sometimes it just takes time. Yeah. And I, I honestly think it's going to really depend. Well, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, my situation is not going to be the same as like, you know, someone else that's facing depression. I have always been really good at hiding how I'm feeling. Um, so I can easily, you know, just put on a happy face, get through the work day. And that's why I always talk about like, you know, just because someone's smiling or laughing or they look happy doesn't mean that they're not depressed. Or, you know, if someone opens up to you, but they don't look depressed, like that I've had that told to me. And I'm like, that is the stupidest thing (laughs) you could say to someone that is opening up to you about being depressed, but that's um, beside the point. So for me, because sad and depressed (laughs) are not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different. So for me in those, like, pulling myself through work, that is easier for me than let's say like being around my husband, Mike and pretending that I'm okay. So like, it just really depends on like the situation, but for work, I've always been able to kind of just like get through it. Um, and I don't know if that was just how I was raised or like what (laughs) with runners, I feel like we're just kind of like that. Um, but that's kind of, I guess, how I would describe it. All right. So let's talk about the last few months because you went through a very tough period in certain ways. And in other ways, you were doing amazing things, right? I mean, you ran <laughs> two, you ran two fall marathons. You like embarked on this, you know, unbelievably difficult, like strength brain training plan. <laughs> and then you prepared for the dopey challenge, which is, these are all significant physical and mental challenges. And obviously you were struggling at the same time. So when you are facing these tasks, do you, do you kind of need those to 
kind of motivate, not motivate you, because that's not the right word, but kind of inspire you to keep moving? Or is it one of those things where it's like they were on the calendar, so I'm just going to fight through it anyway? Yeah. So I guess I should start by um, explaining kind of how I've always been. <laughs> I was started, I was a gymnast and I was put into gymnastics at age two. So all I know is intense, intense all the time. And um, I was a really good gymnast. And um, I mean, I was doing like four hour practices, five days a week. So like club gymnastics, whatever. So that's like all I know, um, just being super intense all the time. Um, so for me, I'm like always looking for that next, like, well, high for lack <laughs> for to sound like a drug addict. Um, but I think all runners understand that with the runners high and not to be too nerdy, but it is the same chemical in your brain that is activated. So in a way, doing those things and mentally pushing me, I knew it was going to help me feel better. So they were already on the calendar, but I knew canceling them was only going to like make me feel worse because dopamine is the chemical I'm talking about. And essentially, when you run marathons or do really challenging things like that, you're getting this huge surge of dopamine. And that's actually what a lot of the medications that work for depression work on. So um, in a way, I was self-medicating, I guess. Um, but it, it is super helpful for me to have those things because it's just like, okay, I know I have to do this today. I have to do this workout um, and this will help me do this. So it's like takes the brain work out of, you know, like what I'm going to do every day. Whereas if I didn't have those there, then I'd be like, I'll just sleep. I'll just, you know, lay in bed or I'll just not do anything. Um, so chemically, I did it for kind of treatment, but also I'm crazy on the other side of things. <laughs> well, you know, four marathons, I'm sorry, three marathons in roughly four months is a lot to take on for anybody. That's for sure. And with that being the case, when you signed up for those races, or was it more of, hey, I just love to run marathons, and this will allow me to do that? Or were you, you know, kind of thinking that, but at the same time, hoping to kind of set new, new time goals and things like that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I fell into the trap of like, I didn't have the race that I wanted. Um, so like I, and this was for the Fargo marathon last year in May, I was dead set on BQing and it ended up, well, I don't know. You probably don't know much about Fargo at that time of year, but, um, it ended up being like 30 degrees, 30 miles per hour winds and it rained the whole time. So it was just a terrible race. And I didn't BQ cause I was like so cold. Plus with lupus, I get like these I'm just really cold sensitive and yeah, it's a long story. So I signed up for the Athens Greece marathon in hopes to like get my BQ, but then um, I won a free entry into the Twin Cities marathon. <laughs> um, so that was kind of a double whammy. So there was the two marathons and then I had run Dopey Challenge earlier last year in 2019 and I wanted to do it again. So it kind of was a, um, in a way, it was really stupid of me to sign up for the Athens Marathon. But at the same time, like, I just, we just wanted, my husband and I go on an international trip every year. And it just seems like, hey, why don't, if we go there, why don't I run a marathon? So that's kind of how it progressed. I mean, you could have just said, can we go visit the Greek islands? You didn't have to run a marathon. I know, but it's where the marathon was born. So, I mean, how do you not do that when you're there? That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, you guys could have gone on like olive oil tasting or something too. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. Well, I know. And like pistachios and pizza and all that kind of stuff. There you, there you go. <laughs> so, you, you, so you bit off a lot. And that's, and then you also did, um, again, you kind of introduced me to it was the work um, plan. And I, I forget, I even forget the gentleman's name who did it, but you, that seemed to be like this unbelievable, um, just from a strength perspective, transformation for you. I know you had a couple different posts too, which I thought were great, were about like, you know, like, you know, kind of like did like the side by side picture. And you're like, how much weight do you think I lost in this picture? And it was like multiple choice question. It was like, just kidding, zero pounds, 
this was like, you know, a body transformation, not like <laughs> you know, in, in, in the truest sense of the word, not in terms of like shedding something, but kind of, you know, I guess rearranging or something. But it was it was a great post. and It was, it was remarkable. And again, in light of all the marathon training, too, I was just like aghast at like just the energy you're putting into all of this. <laughs> I know. Imagine what I'm like when I'm not depressed now. It's going to be even worse. Um, <laughs> but no, yes, the work, the work is a beach body program. And um, when I was, so I had to, long story short, I um, had to quit gymnastics because I got a stress fracture in my lower back and that kind of ended my career with that. So I started embarking on high school sports uh, at that time. And I was doing like a bunch of strength programs in that and the work came out and it was just like that. And I absolutely love that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know why I think I'm, well, I do know why, cause my dad's like that, but I am my, I am definitely my dad's daughter. Um, so I just wanted to do that. And I know that cross training and strength training are just so important for, you know, being a good runner and stuff like that. So I just kind of added it to the mix and it, it worked it worked out, I guess, because <laughs> I did really good at, at Dopey. Um, but yeah, I tend to be extreme when it comes to certain things, I guess. I've always been that way for some reason, and I, I, I don't foresee that getting any better soon. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> and you did. You I mean you kicked butt at Dopey. I mean, you ended up running. What was it? Was it was it three forty three in the full? Yeah, in the full, and that's after five or no four days of having the races start at four thirty or five thirty. Sorry. Um, so that's what's so challenging about. Well, I mean, it's challenging because of the distance, but also getting up early is really challenging for those races <laughs> and because like we talked about like right at the beginning of this episode like you're in disney world and again now it's not for everybody but there's plenty of people plenty of adults who truly love disney and will go whether they're with kids or not and like, <laughs> i always wonder how people manage this because you have this situation where you want you're going to disney you want to experience it you want to get the most out of it but at the same time you're biting off a huge athletic challenge so were you able to like, again, like you just talked about, like you, you're all in for the extremes. So were you able to kind of practice the moderation that would allow you to run the times that you wanted? Or was it just like, no, I'm just doubling down, going all in, and then we'll just see what happens. <laughs> well, I guess so to train for like just that, I mean, there's really not a special thing, especially because I was recovering from, from marathons. So, you know. Uh, I just followed what, what you told me to do. Um, but I also like started walking every single day at work. So I, um, get an hour lunch break, which I think you're supposed to, but <laughs> I started walking like three miles a day and I'm like, okay, I know if I can still handle my, my running regimen with walking every day, then I should, I should be okay for like when we do Disney, um, and it, it actually worked out really well because I didn't do that for the Dopey Challenge um, last year. And I felt a lot better this year. The other thing that I did is I bring my foam roller with me now. And that made all the difference. Plus, I took naps um, when I could. And then I ate, like, literally all the food. I mean, like, nothing was off, off, um, off from me because at that point in time, I just needed – I don't know how many calories I burned um, – in my time there. But I mean, you just, that's like, you have to eat. And I think sometimes people are afraid of eating when you're doing something like that, but you have to eat. Like that's how you recover. So <laughs> it was mainly just a lot of Rice Krispie bars and, you know, French fries and stuff like that. Even though I'm a big nutrition advocate, <laughs> yeah, all bets were off when I was there. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you hear the same thing with like ultra runners who are like very, you know, plant-based diet centric or something like that, where they 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 have you know very structured eating criteria, whatever that happens to be for them. But then they'll run an ultra and they're like, "Give me the pizza at mile 34. You know what I mean? I know, like I know. <laughs> and that that's exactly kind of how it was. And actually, at the Greece or at the Athens Greece Marathon at mile 22, they were handing out Coca Cola, <laughs> which I thought was so funny. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't crave that right now. 
See, that's great. All right, so you, all right, so you came back. You had the you know marathons that didn't quite go the way you wanted. Dopey Challenge was great. I mean, you you know, you exceeded you know all the goals that we had put out. And I know for you it was tough because in December, you know, it was basically just all recovery, and you were worried about like, all right, am I going to be able to like run this marathon? Because we like really shaved down your mileage, and it was just really about like, all right kind of maintain fitness but get to the starting line healthy but now that you're going through all of that and now you're kind of back back into training and really you know we've got workouts scheduled and all that which is fun what are your plans for for 2020 what are some of the goals that you're hoping to get to well i'm actually i'm gonna behave and i'm gonna take a full like season off and not do a spring marathon or summer marathon um in the fall i have the berlin marathon and I'm hoping I can be cue for, for that. And I know after running um, the Disney marathon, how fast I did with like not fresh legs at all after mar- like four marathons last year, I know that I, I certainly have that capability. And um, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I know a lot of my problem sometimes with marathons is I just get such bad race anxiety going into it. And I think that's why I did so well at the Disney marathon because I, I didn't have pressure. I just wanted to run. Um, but anyways, now I'm rambling. <laughs> I guess that's why I'm on this podcast. The other thing, um, for this, for this year is just, you know, really focusing on getting faster. Um, but really the brunt of it is going to be for the marathon in the fall and then Eventually, I want to run an ultra marathon really bad, but I haven't decided which one. There's just so many. Um, and that just seems like a whole different world. And I need to like learn more about them before I like go and decide to do that. But that's kind of the, the bigger goals, I guess, right now. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting to see. Obviously, you're someone who works really hard is also very tied into health in a lot of different ways. And it seems like one of the things that you capture that I think a lot of people strive for or hope to get to hope to get to this point is you seem to be very self-aware with what you're doing, how you feel, and how to maximize that. Is that a skill that you've always had or is that something that you've kind of worked on, you know, as you've kind of uh, you know, been put in a position where you sort of had to be pretty self-aware with with lupus and these other things that have you know made you you know become critical not only of what you're doing and feeling but what you're putting in your body yeah i honestly i think in 2015 after i got through that main horrible experience um it really opened my eyes into like okay, you are only here for one lifetime. You need to get your poop in a groove and figure out how to like live your best life. And um, I started, shortly after that, um, I started to get therapy myself, which it was a long time coming, but through therapy is really how I learned how to kind of be self-aware. And if, if people who have done therapy, I think, can understand that, but it really helps you be in tune to like, okay, my heart rate is like a little elevated right now. What is going on? What is that trying to tell me? Or like, you know, I'm just really tired today. Um, Is it because I didn't get enough sleep or like what is going on? So I would say most of it, actually, I learned through therapy because before that I just ignored everything. Um, I, (laughs) I just kind of, ignored if I was feeling anxious or anything like that. And then once I started therapy and like really having to track how I'm feeling a certain day, that was like so helpful. And I still do that where I check in with myself every morning, like, okay, how am I feeling? Like, how would I rate how I'm feeling right now? And as you do that, you'll be more aware of like, oh, I feel good today. Or, you know, like maybe I'm not having the best start to my day and I should do this because I know that this makes me happy or, you know, spending time with your kids or running outside or doing something like that. And you be, you, by doing that slowly over time, you become more aware of like how your mind is and how your body is. That makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate you sharing that. You have been such an open book, not only in this podcast, but also <laughs> in your social media. I know it is a, you know, it's a very positive thing for a lot of people, even if what you're saying isn't necessarily positive. Like you'll say like, Hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, but I feel like that 
has a positive effect on people because it's not as if you're complaining about it, which you certainly would have every right to do. But I feel like <laughs> how you present it to people is like, I'm, st- this is how I'm feeling, but it's almost like there's, you know, I don't know if, the, I don't know if you know, if acceptance therapy is one of the, is, is, is the kind that you're going through, but it has that feel to it of like, this is how I'm feeling, but I'm not going to put judgment on it. I'm just indicating what it is. Yep. And you totally hit it um, right on. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things with that I've learned through therapy is like, this is what's going on right now. I can't control what's going on. And this is just how I feel and not necessarily feeling sorry or bad about it. It's just more like letting it be there. It's kind of like if meditation and mindfulness. It's just letting it be there and then moving on <laughs> and, you know, not making your whole day bad because of it. Well said, Kim, that's a great way. That's a great place. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a blast. Also, thank you to our sponsors. We got Prevenex, we have Koros Global, and we have Nutzo. I love Nutzo snacks. These are like the snacks that are my go-to now. Uh, they have nut butters, and they have these little packs that have chocolate, and the nut butters kind of mixed together, almost like a, a gel that you'd bring on a run. They're fantastic. I love their peanut butter as well. They have a lot of keto products. Not that peanut butter can be that sugary, but they take it all out, which is also positive. So give them a try and wear my Coros watch right now. And every morning, man, I have my Prevenex supplements. So with all that being said, the reason we're here is to provide information and motivation and inspiration for all of you dedicated amateur runners. And I hope you got that today with the episode with Kim. Also, if you have any guests that you'd like to see on the show, go over to my Instagram. You go to my link in the bio and there's a form in there. So any guests that you want to hear on the show, you can fill that out. Describe why they should be on the show. Even if it's you, describe why you think you'd be a great guest on the show. That's happened before and it's worked out well. Because ultimately, getting great stories is the most important thing that we can do on this show. And I think we did that today with Kim. And I want to do more and more of that as time goes on. So thank you so much for listening, for rating, for reviewing, and for sharing the show. It is so greatly appreciated. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.